Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We're a week into the new year. How's it going for you? Well, let's talk about how it's going for Mississippi State sports here in the doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Yes, we're back, our first edition in 2024 of the doghouse. And your host, David Murray, and trying to catch up on the events this past week. Well, a lot to catch up. In fact, I'm still not even sure I have because so much going on with the, obviously, football still full blast into the recruiting season with transfer portal action still flying fast. Basketball gets SEC seasons kicked off for the men and the women. And we'll have a little bit of facilities talk as well today. Um, Nothing hard and fast, but looking ahead to the expected announcement this month by Athletic Director Zach Selman on a facilities plan for several venues on the Mississippi State campus. But first, let's get into recruiting because that's still the hottest topic and something that's kept our staff at Gene's Page really occupied. Steve and Rion have been chasing all the commitments, uh, getting stop reports from Neil Stepinski. And now some new video work by our newest hire, Nathan, who's helping us out on that front as well. As far as what the staff is doing, well, here's your running count. Let's start out first. 21 total signees or commitments as of December 2022nd official signing period. So when I say signed, remember that these transfers announcing can't sign in most cases until February, I believe February 7th, the spring period. But usually at this point, if they make that commitment, they're going to stick to it because they've done it on their visits to campus and that's time running out as well. So we have the 21 guys. Now you've got 13 transfers committed and most of them look like they will hold up indeed. I think a few of them still have some visits to go. But by the same token, Mississippi State is not through at all working the transfer portal, so I expect that number to rise. I published a piece on Saturday. Let's see, by my calculations, if they at 21 and this 13 do all indeed not only sign, but enroll and show up for practices by August, 40% of your 85-man roster, which is still the limit, by the way. The NCAA has done away with signing class limits, obviously. But your overall roster limit must remain at 85. 40% of that will be new players to Mississippi State. And I'm not even counting a recommitted uh, transfer, a would-be transfer like Corey Ellington who came back. So you could bump that up. I expect that number to total. Do I think it'll reach 50%? Probably not. But heck, with a new coaching staff, mostly new, an entirely new offense, an adjusted defense, and just a fresh start over entirely, and to be blunt, also cleaning out some of the previous signing. All right, I should never call them signing mistakes. So it just didn't work out. That doesn't mean it was a mistake. It just did not work out. I want to stress that because to call it a mistake says that the staff didn't see enough talent to sign anyway or the player wasn't good enough to sign but signed anyway. No, don't do that because you still there's always going to be a lot of gambling and frankly there's going to be a lot of guys who once they get here realize they just weren't ready for this they should have gone to junior college route they should have gone to the fcs or a group of five and then took their turn in the portal which i expect to happen increasingly as this moves forward as the name image likeness landscape finally starts taking some kind of shape in the next couple of years when they realize this wholesale throwing of money at transfers and prospects can't be sustained Uh, boosters have only so much to give believe it or not they only have so much to give especially repeatedly so as that shakes out i think some sanity will come to the market and i think guys 
will start figuring out that this is going to be much more like, and I've said this before, I think college football might do well to hire some people with experience in managing rosters for Major League Baseball. Not the club itself, but the farm system. And yes, I know the farm systems are not what they used to be, but people who have that approach of get your players in the system somehow, even if they're not playing for you. I know that sounds odd. But you remember how Jackie Sherrill or the coaches at other schools around the country would place players out of high school who did not qualify in the junior colleges and, quote, develop them or keep them on ice or just get them eligible and then move them up? I could almost foresee, and this may be worth a column, developing that sort of ladder for senior college football. Because let's be blunt again, high school signings are going down. I don't know what the exact numbers are going to be, but I know a year or so ago, something like 20% fewer high school players were signed. It may be close to that, maybe even more than that this year. But as guys realize that uh, there's fewer slots for high school, they may take more seriously going to the smaller colleges, maybe not junior college, it was, but the FCS, because you can still be recruited out of that. That's being proven already. You certainly get recruited out of group of five programs. And it gives you a chance to make your name at that level, much like the minor leagues, and work your way on up. Okay, uh, that's enough on that line. Uh, just something worth exploring that just really occurred to me in the moment as I think about how the m- amount of roster turnover is just exponentially exploding across senior college football. I'm sure somebody will have some exact figures come summer after the second transfer portal window opens and closes and all the transfers, or at least most all of them, will take shape then get an idea of just what the turnover everywhere was like. Go to Mississippi State, you're already at 40%. I expect that number to only climb as you go with this 21 plus 13, and I think that 13 is going to grow. Uh, By the way, uh, 16 Bulldogs have transferred out. Now, when I say that, a couple of those guys were walk-ons. Some, I don't even think, ever even made the official roster. Certainly never dressed out for a game. So do you really count them as transfers? I guess you have to mathematically. Still, you're getting close to balancing out your departures with incoming, and I don't think there's any doubt that the incoming is better than the outgoing in most cases. Woody Marks, Will Rogers, players, um, other players like that, Percy Lewis. Now, that's a disappointment to me because I thought he had a great chance to be a starting tackle this year, but he's already galloped off up the road to Oxford. So there are losses, but by and large, in Mississippi State's case, with given the state of the program, the transfer portal is working to make the roster better. Now, at some point, you will reach that equilibrium where it kind of balances out where you're giving away as good as you're getting. At least that's ideal. But at this point, you're just getting better with the ones you bring in, even if State doesn't end up matching directly the numbers, though I think they will. Uh, disappointments right now on a couple of running back prospects, but still, you signed a high school kid, you've got a JUCO kid coming in. I think the running back room will be okay. And would would I take either one of the difference makers? Absolutely. That's the other thing. You've got some position groups that are starting to fill up really fast, but if there's one more guy out there who is an absolute, for sure, as sure as anything can be in college sports, difference maker, you grab him and just let the numbers work out especially as you get into spring with all your early enrollees, and that's something we have to clarify. We really don't know who's eligible to come in in spring yet. I'm sure that will be shaken out in the next few weeks. And, of course, you have the February signing day, um, or signing period. It runs into all the way through March. 
and spring practice, I believe, is going to start after spring break, which this year is the 11th through 15th at Mississippi State and most high schools that we know of in the region. So let's say the earliest spring practice would start would be somewhere around March 18th, uh, which is still a couple weeks before the next portal window opens. So some guys have a chance to get a look at things before they decide, well, maybe this school is not right for me after all. I'll use the spring window and take my jump and how that works out. But I think the NCAA eventually is going to have to consolidate these transfer periods into something more sane because there's too much pressure on guys to make the move too early in winter. Hence all the opt-outs in bowl games, which I'm not going to get into that subject. I still love the bowl games, enjoyed watching them again this year, even the bad ones. It's still college football, and I still get to watch it. But we'll see how that develops over time. And frankly, I say the NCAA, I had just, as I've written before, and no doubt many more people also are writing and speculating, eventually top-level college football will separate itself from the NCAA, but how will that affect the transfer portal as well? So, hey, so much to work out in the future. What we're focusing on, if I ever get around to focusing today, right on is, again, 13 coming in, 21 commits signees, and so you've got the balance there. Oh, by the way, of the 13 transfers that look pretty solid at this point, Seven of them, over half, come from Power 5 programs. I believe three, maybe four from SEC. I'm trying to remember the exact count on that. Still, over half Power 5s. So, and my big thing, yes, the wide receiver room, that's getting so much the attention, and and why shouldn't it? You've got six or seven uh, plus tight ends coming in, either signees or transfers at this point. So you've really reworked that receiver room instantly. But I always focus on the line of scrimmage. You have to. As I've said before, certainly during the coaching search, when there were people who wanted the flashy G5 or small program offensive minds to come in, this is still a line of scrimmage league. Always will be. Always has been. So Mississippi State, right now, of your transfers, three offensive linemen, two defensive linemen, uh, another couple of high schoolers signed on the line of scrimmage. You've got to get the big bodies. And if to me... So far, that has been the disappointment of the transfer portal. That doesn't mean I'm disappointed in Jeff Levy. Please, let's not make that mistake. The disappointment is simply that Mississippi State, as a program, as a school, as an entity, right now is just not getting the numbers and the defensive line. I'll qualify that by saying, of course, that uh, edge guys, big pass rushers, are guys who can dominate play in the middle and tie up blockers and make life good for the edge people and the linebackers. They are as highly pursued as quarterbacks, maybe even more so because you need so many more of them where just one quarterback can make a difference. You want to pick up several of those edge people, big defensive tackles, difference makers at those positions. Offensive tackle, same theory applies. They're as valuable as quarterbacks. Unthinkable once upon a time, but that's the reality of it. And Mississippi State losing its entire starting line now with the transfer of Stephen LaSoya and Percy Lewis you got a total rebuild job there after all this year's guys are promoted. You start getting them developed in spring and find out how you plug and play the new bodies. That's going to be a humongous job for the pair of coaches that Jeff Levy is bringing in to revamp the offensive line. So there's where you stand on that count, and I really hope to get more of those, but I imagine the big body position has been picked over pretty good. So the focus should be the rest of the way. And, again, I mentioned the running back positions, if there's a difference maker. But, frankly, 
If there's not, then focus everything, even if you have to, um, you know, yes, I know schools don't actually spend the NIL money, but uh, wink, wink, nod, nod, those kind of informations get transferred. Find somebody who makes a difference defensively off the ends, pressuring quarterbacks, and for the love of mercy, keep upgrading the defensive backfield. It was so awful this year that you just want to start almost entirely from scratch. Yes, some guys should get healthy. Yes, a player or two should be growing up. It's not entirely bare there, but it's still essentially starting from scratch. So the more difference makers you can bring in, especially at the um, gifted safety positions as far as both supporting the run game or getting back in coverage, which increasingly the job of safeties in today's offenses in the SEC. If you can find them, grab them. Again, they're all valued but you've just got to start taking some chances on people who can play because state has so invested in the secondary the past two years in the transfer portal been a couple of hits but a whole lot of misses so that room desperately needs it all that said uh, according to our cbs sports analyst mississippi state's transfer class right now ranks number 21 in the country Uh, very good not great but very good and better than it was certainly before all this began By the way, parenthetically, the sheer number is going to drag that down a little bit because you're going to be getting positions that don't make the flash as, say, I looked at uh, Mike Leach's first true transfer recruiting class. He ranked number eight. I bet you'd forgotten about that because I sure as heck had forgotten about that. And how much difference did they make? Well, there were some players in there, but did it transfer a program? No, and it was a small group. I think only eight players, really maybe seven, and that included specialists. So 21 is a good solid number. If you could add another couple of guys on defense who are difference makers, you'll see that climb into the top 20. And I think that with the sheer number of people you're having to bring in really gets the job done. The signing class as a whole right now, it was 33 according to CBS Sports uh, 24-7 and 29 composite using everybody else's despite the almost criminal underrating of a couple of players. Certainly our young quarterback Van Buren who just showed off this past week in the All-Star game. Didn't he ever? So there's your development progress at the quarterback room where you've got a true freshman coming in who made a splash. You've got... Obviously, you're returning Chris Parson, who I still am not sure he's going to be absolutely 100% physically and mentally for this season because he's still just over a year off his surgery, remember? He played a couple of games, and for all as good as he looked in no-touch practices in real games like Texas A&M, the real game just made him struggle. It showed that he had been out of the game, the serious heat of the game, too long. Now he's got a little experience there, knows what to work on, and in a new system which absolutely should play to his strengths. And, of course, Blake Shapin, the transfer from Baylor coming in. So you got your three quarterbacks. I know there are pleas out there to find another quarterback. Caution, caution, caution. I know we had one body on the message board say, well, Mike Leach always signs so many quarterbacks. Yeah, high school kids. He only brought in a handful of transfers at quarterback. Definitely went after high school kids. That was the bulk of it. What fans right now are asking is for another transfer quarterback. I see the point, but right now I just don't think there's anyone available out there who is going to make a difference any more than, say, Blake Shapin would at this point. So all you're doing is splitting up spring snaps, which should be focused on the fellas who actually can play this coming fall. 
this offense has got to be ready to go come August practices. It can't just sit and spend your 14 or so practices and a spring game fiddling around, trying this, trying that, dividing up snaps among four or five and six quarterbacks. You've got to focus on your three that you're going to carry and your two that you expect to play. Mike Leach was right about that. So I'm not – I don't see the urgency to grab another quarterback at this point. Get to work on the lines of scrimmage and the defensive difference makers out there, and you can call this class a success. In fact, I will already call this class a success. This is another building block. Is it painful that you have to be in a building block mode right now? Yeah, absolutely. Mississippi State should be further along than it is, except you look at everything that has happened since the day Dan Mullen lost to Alabama in 2017 and just basically punched the clock the rest of that season before leaving. And now you're looking at your fifth new coach in eight seasons, six if you want to count the interim coaching of Greg Knox. I know I've repeated that theme several times. I will continue to. Mississippi State, more than anything, needs stability in the head coaching position. Now, that doesn't mean just keep him regardless of what happens. Obviously, it assumes that Jeff Levy and staff are going to get good things done to merit that stability. But the point is, at all costs, Mississippi State must find stability in the head coaching room, especially now when there is no stability at all in the transfer market, the NIL world. You need something solid to build and to focus and to organize this whole operation called Bulldog Football. So that's where football is standing at this point. Uh, as we reminded, practices will probably start in the second half of March. Um, that's what we were told, uh, and nothing's been said officially. We'll be trying to get in and talk with Lebby and staff once the recruiting madness settles down. That could be a few more weeks, but you know that requests been put in. Of course, those coaches, too, they've been blasting at it nonstop since they were all hired, either in late November, early December, so they need a break of their own at some point. Of course, classes don't start again until the 16th on campus. Today's the 7th, as this is recorded. So still several days away from that. Oh, by the way, the last date to enroll, I believe, is the 22nd. could be the 23rd. But either 22nd, 23rd, that's your drop-add date, essentially your deadline for any incoming football players who are going to practice in spring. Lord knows we need as many as possible out there, especially after the number of transfers State had off the 2023 roster. So a lot going on in the football world and more coming. It won't slow down too much. Um, more official visits still because there are high school kids out there who didn't sign who may be worth taking a chance on uh, after they played some all-star games as well. So we'll see how that develops also. Our recruiting staff is staying on that. They would have thought by now they'd be taking a break too from it. Oh, no. <laughs> Their pace has only picked up since December signing day. What is really picking up, of course, is basketball. And I say picking up, whereas both teams kind of fell flat in their SEC openers. Um, Let's get to the disappointment first. The men losing at South Carolina was a disappointment. Now, I'm going to cut some slack in the regard that Tolu Smith is still getting up to speed. He played half of a game, and then it was time to get him out of there before anything bad happened on campus. But now at South Carolina, he's still coming off the bench. At some point, he's got to move in the starting lineup. I expect that to be soon as he gets up to speed. But that was a bad loss. State just did not play well enough at South Carolina. It stretches. They looked like they started the game reasonably well. They had a lead, I think, what, 20 to 12 at one point. 
but let the whole thing get away. And uh, I know we've seen some people defending it, saying South Carolina's a tough place to play. Not really. I don't think it's any more difficult than most SEC venues. Doesn't mean it's easy. Just there's nothing particularly vicious about playing at South Carolina, even if they are on a home winning streak of their own there. But it was a tough loss for Chris Jan's team. And now they're hosting Tennessee and Alabama at home. You have got to win one of those. I don't think there's any way around it at this point. If you're thinking seriously on the NCAA front, yes, Mississippi State has started worse and made the tournament and still could because these are going to be top 10 teams in the net rankings. I don't know what they're ranked in the polls. I don't really care anymore. You talk about something that's become just about useless. Basketball rankings are almost as useless now as baseball rankings. All that matters is your net, or in baseball, your RPI. I think sooner or later they'll turn into something like that. Mississippi State. Now, as of today, as we record this, the game at Columbia was already put into the net calculations, and State only lost a spot. They're number 33 as of Sunday. I expect on Monday for that to adjust a little bit, but not too far. So net-wise, the Bulldogs are still in good shape as far as NCAA tournament. Win-loss-wise, this is a big, big, big week for Jans and his team. First, you've got to get Tolu back up to full speed. You've got to figure out your rotations, how to get more outside shooters in the game and playing consistently. No, I don't expect them to go to any kind of three-guard lineup because that's just not going to work defensively. And State played good defense at South Carolina. Again, they held them under 70 points, which is generally your starting goal for Mississippi State. Tennessee and Alabama, that's two high-scoring teams coming in, or at least two potential high-scoring teams coming in, guys who've proven they can put the ball through the basket. You saw what the Vols did to a previously unbeaten Ole Miss on the Tennessee home court last night. In Alabama, uh, Vanderbilt made it a little tougher on them than expected in Nashville, but the Crimson Tide did come away with a win, and they'll be coming to Mississippi State this weekend, Tennessee, of course, on um, Wednesday. I may have it backwards. Uh, well, hey, why don't I look at this little handy-dandy schedule card? Yes, Tennessee on Wednesday. That'll be a 6 o'clock game. And Alabama this weekend in the hump. Big games for the Bulldogs. A win in either one, and your net ranking is going to remain solid. And then you have a chance to start building some momentum if you get things together after the trip to Kentucky. Yep. You know, we all thought after Kentucky's bad, ugly loss in November that, oh, they're vulnerable again. Well, they seem to have it back together. So you're looking at the Vanderbilt game on the 20th, then you're going to Florida. A couple of games there that are certainly winnable. Mississippi State has a chance to build a little bit here in January, but let's be blunt again. We're kind of fond of being blunt, aren't we? Maybe I should find a new word there. In the fact that the SEC schedule maker did the dogs no favors. No, there's never going to be an easy SEC schedule, but some are harder than most, and State has drawn a stretch here of Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky in a stretch there, and then you got Auburn on the 22nd, 27th to finish out January. Well, it's just that that's going to be a grind. So you come out of that, you've just got to somehow find yourself three, hopefully four, but certainly three wins after losing this game at South Carolina, which I'll be fair, I had put down as a W. And it didn't happen, so now some restocking. We'll be talking to Chris Jans, I believe, at 11 o'clock on Monday morning. Justin Frommer, who made the trip to South Carolina and covered both games, the men and women in Columbia. Tip of the hat to Jason, Justin for making that stretch and getting back here. We'll be reporting on the press conference Monday morning and then getting ready for Wednesday's game. As far as Lady Bulldogs, well, no surprise they lost to South Carolina. The surprise being that they led after one quarter. 
But then 85-66 final, South Carolina's that good. I mean, uh, come on. They are that good again. So no demerits for losing there. The demerit is losing at home to Vanderbilt the other night. I was at that game, and there were so many times the Bulldogs could have taken control and didn't. To be fair, Vanderbilt played as probably as well as I think they can play, watching them operate their bigs, attacking the basket from angles, getting easy or maybe not so easy layups that went in, but getting physical mismatches to make those layups and hitting just, and I do mean just enough outside shots to make State stretch the defense and get a little flat-footed in there. They mixed zone and they mixed man, and State's point guard play just it was not capable of making the right kind of reads and reactions. State forced too many things in the lane. There were so many frustrating turnovers from passes that were impossible. I'm sorry, when your teammate is less than six feet away, and yet there's a player in between you, and you're trying to whip the ball around and to them, it's just not going to happen. Even if they do catch it, they're covered and not going to score. Just some really awkward decision-making, especially in the second half by Sam Purcell's team. So a lot of material to learn from. Hopefully they do learn because, you know, still playing a little shorthanded, but they're getting some players back, getting a little healthier. But now you've got to start winning some games. They're at Arkansas this week, so nothing easy there. It's just, you know, they've drawn a tough schedule their own, but Arkansas has got to be oh, – they just got to get something done. If they pull the upset off at Arkansas, it wouldn't be a huge upset, but any road win is something an upset. And then this next Sunday, mid-afternoon, Ole Miss is in town. And you all remember how good the Rebels were last year. Well, they're not the same this season. And this is kind of going to, to me, next Sunday will be the checkpoint for Purcell's team. You'll get a good read, I figure, because by then you ought to have most of your roster available. Who's going to play this season? and who they just decided is never going to make it health-wise this year to write it off and put it to next year. The Ole Miss game is going to be a make, I can say break, but it certainly could be a make to get you through January and set you up for a chance to get back to the NCAA tournament with your play in February for the Lady Bulldogs. So we'll see how that goes as well. But uh, I like the enthusiasm they play with. They just need more efficiency and organization. I'm but when that may be a sign, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, I talk so much about the transfer portal for football, but football is so much more plug and play as far as position wise. Sam Purcell is going to work that portal hard every year. That's just the nature of the beast now. And it takes longer in basketball, I think, to develop that chemistry, particularly between the guards and the bigs. Who gets where, the spacing, how you see people, what they can do. Can they catch the pass you throw? Can they score from that particular point you're throwing it to? All those sorts of things that really don't get schemed up on a board that can only be done by actually playing together and figuring out. This is very much a team, a work in progress, but the progress had better start coming fast because there is no mercy in this conference. Uh, Sam Purcell called the Vanderbilt game an NCAA tournament game in January. Well, it was. And let's hope that uh, at the end of the regular season, we're not looking back on that one thinking, yeah, that's why the NCAA tournament is all of a sudden such an uphill climb for the Bulldogs. They have the talent. They just need the cohesion. They need the comfort level with each other. And they need to get some shots to fall and make and take smarter shots. Don't play quite so reckless. Do play with energy. Keep pushing the pace, but look for the better shot instead of the first shot. 
and that's my two-bit coaching analysis right now, and I'm probably entirely wrong. Hopefully they walk out there and just blow out Arkansas this week and say, look at there, old guy, we can play after all. And I'd be perfectly happy to pass that along. All right, I mentioned at the start of here that um, Athletic Director Zach Selman is expected to make an announcement sometime this January to present a facilities plan. I went back and found the quotes he gave us in the fall. He said, by the first of this coming year, this is a quote, we'll be able to activate a capital campaign for each of our athletic facilities. This is after a facilities master plan is presented. And he said they're looking at every facility in our footprint, including the golf course and Mossy Oak out there. So Mississippi State should be having some kind of big announcements. Um, we know some general ideas they have in mind. Of course, uh, the west side of Davis Wade Stadium People have noticed for a couple of years now the netting that has been hung underneath there. I've been meaning to ask some of the facilities directors about, is that a signal of work coming? Is that a safety issue? What's happening with this? It's just the fact that DWS is so freaking old. And by the way, it ain't going to be replaced. Let's not even go down that line of thought. But when you got the second oldest campus venue in the country, still age does show be interesting to see what they have in mind because not only are they getting the architecture firm to do this master plan for them, they've also had a chance to feel the fan base out, um, look to sponsors, look to donors, kind of get an idea of maybe what sort of money they can start to think about dealing with. And they haven't started raising yet. I don't want you to misunderstand that. They won't start actually raising money until they know what they're raising it for and how much is needed. But I think now that this athletic operation has been here a year, I think what January 13th was Selman's first day on the job, something like that, or is now I'm, I'm not sure which, doesn't really matter at this point. Let's just say he's about coming up on his first year on the job, which would be a nice timing to make that announcement. And yes, we have put in a request for an interview, a sit down with him on what they have planned on that, as well as other things about just his first year, how he sees things, what he knows about Mississippi State now that he didn't know then. Uh, how the new staff that he's brought in has been um, dividing up the labors and how they're approaching things. So we want to ask some of the stuff there. I don't expect him to give us a lot of hard answers because Mississippi State, you know, the, the increasing tendency of administrators is to save it for a big press conference of their own. I understand. I, I want to make a splash there. But it'd be nice to get some tips on what they have in mind, so we're going to keep pushing that. And there are many things that you could do to DWS, but are the things that you need to do? Set the priorities. Well, the first thing you need to do is put a better football team on the field against the new SEC schedule they're going to play. Well, the athletic director doesn't have a whole lot to say in that, but he can start working on the setting that that team's going to play in, and more importantly, or at least as importantly now, the setting which will be attracting people to campus to come sit and watch that team play which is no minor matter because it is going to get tougher and tougher to convince people in large numbers to keep coming to this many home games with the prices involved and when you have all the ease and comfort to stay home or to go gather with friends and watch uh, from a safer distance, let's put it that way, than to actually come. I think schools are having to come to grips with the new reality that uh, partial schedules uh, as far as ticket sales are going to be more the thing, your high-profile games, maybe make them separate from your other season tickets, all sorts of suggestions that are in the works now, but we'll be trying to find out some exact answers if they're willing to offer them. Hey, all we can do is ask. 
And we're always willing to ask because we're always willing to talk about it to you, Bulldog Country, here in the Doghouse, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. This has been your host, David Murray, on this Sunday afternoon. Thanks for checking in. And if you like what you're hearing, give us some feedback through Apple Podcasts there. Just give us a like. If you don't like it, well, learn to. Hey, we're going to have fun as we get more into this. Um, Once football recruiting does settle down and we're not that far away, January 15th, when school, just the day before official classes begin, is the first gathering day for the Diamond Dogs. Scrimmages, January 26th. It ain't that far away. Baseball season is coming. So we'll have even more to talk about in that regard. But if you want to talk about it, you want to listen to it, do it here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. This has been your host, David Murray. Thanks for checking in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.